1: I'm just going to steal the line sean from the start of stealing bananas that ben used this week the points were back and that's what we are talking about here today on road of overtime this is going to serve as kind of a part two for sean of the week two recap and his instant thoughts the instant thoughts were with himself and ben grex on stealing bananas you can check that out for some of the games we won't touch on here we'll be talking about the rest of the games they didn't talk about we might even touch on some of the games they did talk about but lots of exciting plays this weekend you mentioned sean i believe it was one of the latter weeks that you referenced on Stadium bananas where we did have one word was like basically all is right in the world uh the points came back for one week last season but to get it in week two feels like a, a real step forward here so hopefully we are seeing the offenses start to adjust maybe against some of the defensive schemes that we have seen and uh, it was it was a really interesting week we're going to talk through it now on today's show as we kick it off sean i do want to give a shout out to people who I mentioned on our friday edition tough week last week tough week still ongoing but people reached out to say you know some very kind words through dms through emails and i really do appreciate each and every one of those and some of them sean i've even put one in the show notes we're not going to read it out but I, i wanted to share with sean because some of the stuff that people say to both myself and sean is very meaningful and when we do these shows sometimes you record them and you think well i'm talking to sean he's in america i'm in ireland that's all the people that are going to listen to this show. But, Sean, we're lucky to have a lot of people who tune in and who are part of the Road of Is Overtime community. So thank you to each and every one of those. And thanks to everyone who is listening in. We really appreciate each and every one of you. But, Sean, we also appreciate points in the NFL. And it sounded on Stealing Bananas, I didn't get the instant, instant reaction to talk to you at the time, but you sounded pretty, pretty pumped for how NFL Week 2 went in terms of scoring. You did mention not just our players that we're scoring which is unfortunate for us because we would like it to be only our players that are scoring
2: but a lot of players were scoring big points in week two and um, that's what i want fantasy football to be about i mean you're not going to be right on every call and sometimes you're going to go out there and lose a shootout column you and i are involved in a quite a fireworks (laughs) of points in the dynasty league we are currently projected to score the second most points in the league and lose so it's we'll going to be it's one of those
1: weeks where you have that matchup where either side of it is going to be the second highest scoring
2: team and, and not one that's right that's right and again another we can edge it out. <laughs> yeah i mean we need some points from pat fryarmuth our opponents need some points from nick chubb michael thomas and nashie harris you know i famous last words right but i'm not that worried about michael thomas and, and ashi harris we'll see what they do maybe
1: they if people are watching this on youtube drop drop a note in the comments to tell us uh, how that
2: worked out for us well one of the things is that when you release a show talking about an event that's about to happen then you know it's it's much to your risk and detriment when you say you're not worried about a particular group of players Nick Chubb, on the other hand, you do have to hope that Pittsburgh's defense is a little stouter than they were last week. Nick Chubb, someone who can do it all by himself. We'll see if Pat Fryermuth and the Steelers' offense can look a little feistier against Cleveland, especially with Deontay Johnson out. What does Fryermuth do? Is Pickens healthy and going to play well? I can't wait for, for Monday Night Football to top all this off. Colin, I do have to say that right after. Ben and I recorded. That was when I did have a chance to then watch the Monday, or the Sunday night game. And that one, a little disappointing. After all the fireworks from Tua last week, to have it be a little bit of a, a Raheem Mostert game. Now, we do have Mostert in our lineup here. We've got some exposure to him. 121 yards, two touchdowns, a reception. They look good, right? Because that New England pass defense, especially but that New England defense, is going to be a really tough matchup for folks. So new England now, 0 and two, but they have played probably two of the five best teams in the NFL and looked very competitive. And so I would expect them to still have a good season. I mean, this is a little bit of a tricky claim in part because, you know, we really like Mac Jones and in part because he's now lost twice and he hasn't put up crazy numbers despite having over 90 total attempts through two games. But, I mean, Colin, when you consider some of the context here, I thought he looked absolutely fantastic on Sunday Night Football. He gets 15 targets out to the combo of Devontae Parker and Hunter Henry. Devontae Parker looked pretty decent. It was frustrating that Kendrick Bourne takes a step back. Only the four catches on the nine targets. There were a couple of deep plays where Boren couldn't quite get his feet down. But again, we're seeing a version of Mac Jones who throws with anticipation and accuracy. I thought he showed a little better arm strength on a couple of the deep passes in this game. You're getting a lot of aggressiveness from Bill O'Brien. You have another game here where Ramondre Stevenson doesn't exactly break a lot of plays, but looks solid, has the advantage over Ezekiel Elliott that you do want to see. He catches three passes. He scores a touchdown. So from a fantasy perspective, you're okay. We do still think there'll be bigger games from Stevenson in the future. This was maybe the game I was hoping would shoot out a little bit more. You get Jalen Waddle with a drop that maybe that fifth catch would have been something that would have put some OT listeners over the top, as obviously we have a lot of Waddle. But he does more than double up Tyreek Hill and yardage in week two. We're probably going to see some back and forth there. I mean, I think Tyreek Hill has a chance to finish as the number one player in fantasy. But for anybody who doesn't have a lot of exposure, the fact that the Patriots did have much more of a solution than we saw in week one, I mean, that has to give you a little bit of encouragement, right? I mean, we're definitely not rooting for anybody to get hurt. We're not like dramatically rooting against any of the players, but certainly, you know, you you want to have a chance against Tyreek Hill teams. It looks like you'll probably have that. Again, the Dolphins overall look very, very good. Yeah, and this was
1: a lower scoring week for Waddle and Hill, for example, but I think this is kind of the lower scoring week. I know Waddle didn't have a big week last week either, but you know, 4 for 86 is not terrible. It's 12.5 points. We get Tyreek Hill 5 for 40 and one touchdown from his side. It is spread around. This felt a little bit from the Dolphin side of things, like this was a game plan specifically for the New England Patriots in terms of like 30 pass attempts for uh, two and thirty rush attempts. Then for the team as a whole, and we do get mustered with the eighteen carries, one two one yards. He had that forty-three yard touchdown, but he has two touchdowns in this one. I thought he looked like he, he looked like what we think where he is. He's athletic. He's very fast. He runs away from people. But we also had him kind of jump into extra work. I think in this with the injury to. Uh, salvin Atmed, we didn't really see a huge amount of uh devon either which i thought would have been factored in a little bit more with that injury but I, I think the dolphins look pretty complete as a team and anytime you know even if the patriots maybe aren't hitting the heights that they did with the tom brady they are still a team that are very very tough to beat and anytime you come away with a win particularly in foxborough i think you're uh You're doing a really, really nice job there. So they are 0 2, but I've been impressed with Mac Jones, Sean. I think, you know, there's going to be concerns again when you go from Tom Brady to another quarterback, but Mac Jones, I think, is taking a step forward this season. You mentioned the splits at the running back. We get 15 carries for Stevenson, five for Elliott. So maybe already we're moving into more work for Stevenson. I would like to see him get that little bit more work in the, the passing game as well, but we get no targets in this for Elliott either. We get the uh, three targets going the way of Stevens, and I was surprised they didn't maybe integrate the running backs a little bit more in the passing game but an interesting game all around I think the Dolphins are are legit and even though we have a situation here where two a dozen but up huge numbers disappointing night technically from a fantasy, fantasy points perspective I think the, the the Dolphins are going to have huge weeks and I think they're going to be in the the mix come playoff time Sean Somebody who had a tough week last week and who had another tough week this week, and that was Joe Burrow and the, the Cincinnati Bengals. He almost got them back in two result here. They lose 27, 24 to the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, I think, looked pretty solid in this game. Uh, we get Gus Edwards you know, getting his rushing touchdown. He goes 10 for 62. Jackson, 54 yards on 12 attempts. Pretty balanced in the running game, and then we get Justice Hill mixed in as well, 11 for 41. Nelson Aguilar took a, the majority of the work here, which not really anticipating but you know has has his productive days but he goes five for 63 one touchdown six targets Say flowers i thought Say flowers looked really really good in this game but just the five targets four for 62 for him mark andrews was back at limited work odell beckham got uh injured in this game seems to be a short-term injury but sean the the talking point i guess from a, a fantasy scoring day in this one is t higgins it eight catches 89 yards two touchdowns after what was obviously a very disappointing week one jamar chase though sean eight targets five receptions 31 yards which is obviously a concern going his way and then nothing really happening in the running game for them but joe burrow 41 pass attempts 21 27 completions for just 222 yards two touchdowns one interception so we get p higgins sean who made some spectacular plays here joe burrow had 222 (laughs) passing yards but he had to work for all of those, and if he didn't have T. Higgins and his 89 yards, I think we're we're in an even worse position. What what do you think is happening here with, with Cincinnati so far?
2: They've got to find the right mix, right? You have a situation where, through two weeks, Jamar Chase is being targeted underneath and yet has still caught less than 60% of his... Targets. We're looking at week two here, and you again get the big air yard week for Higgins. So, this is back to back weeks where he goes for 125 or more. This week, he actually caught some of the passes. He gets the two receiving touchdowns. He looks very difficult to cover from a size athleticism perspective. Now, we know that he doesn't have elite speed or anything to that effect, but when you combine it with the size size and then the fluidity with which he moves at that size and his ability to catch the ball away from his body, his ability to box out the defenders. It makes him a very difficult matchup. And really you're looking to balance the other elements off of this. And I thought the thing that was very encouraging here in week two is that you do have the six catches for Tyler Boyd. You're using him to... Make some of this underneath element work, and yet when you are involved like that and only have 27 air yards for Boyd, that obviously a little bit of an issue, at least in that the other guy, Jamar Chase, has to be involved further down the field. When you're looking at two weeks worth of information, and I mean, he's still sitting there at less than seven and a half air yards per attempt. That is going to be pretty problematic, especially when you still aren't completing the ball to him. You're not giving him a chance to use his signature after-catch ability as 44 yards in that category through the first couple of weeks. They looked better here. But, Colin, this would have still been a blowout if not for this punt return touchdown. It took him a long time to get going. They do use Joe Mixon, and you could argue that it was relatively... Effective, right? He goes for 59 yards. He looks decent. He goes for 36 yards as a receiver. He looks decent there. But I mean, for this offense to work, you have to get the ball to Jamar Chase. You have to get the ball to him deep. He's got to make plays. And one of the things that happened in this game is that it certainly wouldn't qualify as a drop, but he does have a catch in the corner of the end zone on a perfect path from Burrow where the defender is all over him, is hugging him, throws him to the turf. He's not able to hold it as he goes to the ground there. You're just going to need some big plays from Chase to get going. And, I mean, we've watched this over and over from the Bengals. We're not, I wouldn't say overly concerned, but certainly if Jamar Chase was your first-round pick, then, I mean, you're already operating at a huge deficit because outside of some situations like Cooper Cup and Travis Kelsey – I mean, the first round picks have scored. And even some guys like Austin Eckler, where weren't able to play in week two, the amount they scored in week one, and then knowing that you were going to get, you know, the chance to put somebody else into your lineup in week two, that's that's a huge difference from where we are right now with Chase. Just like we wouldn't say that Joe Burrow is done or having trouble or not going to be good. I mean, obviously he's not done. You're not gonna say the same thing about Chase either, and yet we are already now in a situation where we can ask questions about how he's being used and how this scheme, how the play calling takes best advantage of his skill set, because I mean we're quite a bit removed now from some of these games, and you think back to week 17 a couple of years ago, where he's behind the defense, scores all those points against the Kansas City Chiefs. Week two Brought us a lot of fireworks. It brought us some big plays. Every defense that you're playing is going to be a little bit de- different. Every defense is going to have different answers for that. We can't simply say, oh, you know, people had big plays in week two. You should have also, Bengals, what are you doing? But that is basically what we're going to have to have here is that they have to be able to pass protect and to have play calls in the offense to get these guys behind defenders. When you think back to when Chase was a rookie and you're a month in and he's telling the coaches, look, you got to get me a chance to get deep. When we shouldn't be a couple of years later and back in that same situation where you got to have some plays dialed up to get him the ball where he can really do damage, right? You don't want to get in the ball at the line of scrimmage or five yards down the field. It doesn't have to be a 50 yard pass, but he's got to be involved in Plays that have some similar elements to what you're seeing from Tyree Kill. That's the skill set. That's where he has to be delivered the ball. That's what the Bengals are going to have to do to pull out of this because I mean it's not going to be an easy path for them. And it's easy to say, well, we've we've watched this happen multiple times. I mean, they can come back out of it, but they are still now in deep trouble when we look forward to how you end up with the number one seed in the AFC you can already say it's almost certainly not going to be the Bengals in part because those other teams are still good and those other teams in some cases like the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have a much easier schedule
1: yeah and you touched on a lot of the parts there and even going back to referencing where they were a couple of seasons ago and I think one of the things that I would call out is when you're getting those yards from Joe or Joe Mixon and those pass attempts to Joe Mixon I I think that's something that the defenses are willingly going to give up when you have T Higgins and Jamar Chase, you know, as the wide receivers that they're going to let Joe Burrow get those, you know, four and a half yards per carry. If that's going to lead them to, to winning the game at the end of it. The other part that you had on is what other offenses are doing to, you know, manufacture these opportunities, whether it's right combinations, whether it's just getting them the ball, you know, in space, you mentioned behind the line of scrimmage and you know, near the line of scrimmage. We see, a, a really tough game this week for the jets but even on that giving the wide receiver the opportunity to make a play and with his athleticism we see guard wilson go and get that touchdown what we're not seeing if like you mentioned the the Dolphins said things with tyree keller waddle and how they're, they're they're using some really interesting you know even decoy runs from some of the backs out of the backfield to avoid you know people being able to double cover tyree keller waddle at wide receiver and i do think that the Bengals offense maybe is not adapting to what some of the other offenses are doing. I think they may have been the slowest so far to try and adapt to, you know, we've talked about, you know, the, how, how safeties maybe staying deep, how corners may be staying deep in terms of their coverage. And I don't really feel like they are adapting that much to those changes. Um, and I think that's what's causing a lot of their their issues here. But we'll see what happens. And you also with Jamar Chase, you get back into that part of the conversation about T Higgins and Jamar Chase and the splits, you know, outside of if you take out the games where Higgins has been active and not played, for example, you know they're they're pretty close in terms of who's the the highest point scorer out of the two of those guys. So interesting to watch going forward, but it also leans into you know the sample size and and seeing what happens in week three, where all of a sudden we get 100 yards and, and
2: two touchdowns for Jamar Chase and <laughs> conversation flips back in the opposite well, those, direction. I mean, those games are coming. Right, yeah. we're not going to go a full season without him. But when you get off to a two-game, you know, mini slide, then again, your fantasy managers are already really under the gun. Well, and we were you we were about... hoping for twenty plus points per game, not almost
1: getting twenty PPR points through two games. That's what exactly.
2: We're I think. mean, if you're going to compete in that top five pick range, that is where you need to score. Yeah, and so he's got a, a long way to go to climb back out of it. And you also think of why we didn't really understand how T Higgins was starting to slide into the middle of the third round in the final weeks of drafts. I I don't want to make it anyway, sound like we weren't drafting Jamar chase because definitely when you had a shot at that, I think you wanted to take it, but certainly Higgins is the guy we end up with more because you just, you have more opportunities. It's not only if you have the one Oh two, right. And, with him being a priority target with what we've witnessed from a volume perspective through two weeks, even with the week one donut. I mean, that looks like very much a league winning or at least roster bolstering type of play. Colin going a little bit deeper here. Some other things that listeners are probably going to be interested in. We get a couple of receptions for Travion Williams. The targets at least on the Bengal side are fairly concentrated to that big four And then Irv Smith, not playing a very good game, only has the four targets. But I wouldn't think that they've seen anything so far that would encourage them to make him a bigger part of the offense. From a rushing perspective, the only non-Mixon carry, and there weren't that many carries total for the Bengals in this game, but that does go to Chase Brown. He's active in this game. Chris Evans, not. Chase Brown, still someone that you should be trying to get as the final person on your roster in both redraft and dynasty we don't know what the timeline is going to be you think about someone like a Kyron Williams who is now blowing up for the Los Angeles Rams those two guys are not the same player they have a lot of differences stylistically they have differences in terms of what their individual you know traits are that win for you and yet Brown is also coming Right. He's someone like Williams, who was a very good college player. And as the younger guy will probably eventually be the person. Now we've watched how the Bengals kind of soured on Mixon in last year's playoffs. Not to the extent that the Rams have more or less been permanently soured on acres. And I don't think that we're headed for an acre style divorce here with the Bengals by any stretch. And yet the next guy along the line probably is Chase Brown and we don't know when he's going to arrive we don't know if it's going to be in week one or two in 2024 or if it's week six week seven this season either way you want to be prepared
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
1: Moving on, Sean, to a game which had a lot of fireworks, 37-31. So we get the 68 points in the Seattle Seahawks versus Detroit Lions game. This game tends to deliver shots on a, on a pretty regular basis when they've faced off. But we do get a situation where Jared Goff looks really good in this game but does throw that interception. He was heading towards the most completions without an interception in, in NFL history, I believe, at one point. Wouldn't have probably got it in this game, may have got it next week, but he does throw the interception. Not only an interception, it is a pick six, which really swung this game late on. And then we get the situation where Detroit do get a field goal to put it to overtime, but don't get the ball back then in overtime as we see Tyler Lockett make it into the end zone on that one. So we get big days kind of for both quarterbacks 328 yards for Geno Smith on 32 completions, two touchdowns going his way. Jared Goff gets 28 completions three two three three touchdowns that one interception going his way so both quarterbacks looking really good in this one we get two touchdowns on the ground for kenneth walker sean but just the 43 yards the thing i would say with walker is he just like we're, we're gonna you know we talk about running backs quite frequently now with certain specific ones but Bijan robinson moves just at a it doesn't look like he's playing the same sport as some of these other guys that we see playing running back that we don't want to have on our rosters but he just looks electric but walker at times when he's like moving laterally and then accelerates forward it just he it just looks different when he does it and he he doesn't have as much on the ground but that i think that is because up until towards the end of this we were seeing you know Seattle try and move it through the air mostly the interesting thing coming on the Seahawks side is how they are using the wide receivers we get six targets in this six receptions 75 yards from Metcalf but we get 10 targets going the way of Lockett eight for 59 and two touchdowns including the one in overtime going his way and then we get the six targets for JSN five reception to 34 yards so while the numbers aren't really there for JSN at the moment he is working his way into the wide receiver rotation here and then through the two weeks in terms of the targets we have Metcalf and Njigba getting 11 targets each and then the 14 to Tyler Lockett so it has been pretty level in terms of the the target share through those weeks and and JSN's working his ways you know plus 50 percent of the rights in this game so moving into a more consistent part of the offense on the other side Sean Amon Ross St. Brian goes over 100 yards he gets 102 but he does miss A number of plays in this where he's out, you know, a little bit banged up, does come back in down the the stretch, gets seven targets, six receptions, 102. Felt like there was more out there, but obviously being banged up, that that leads to not getting all that. Josh Reynolds gets into the end zone twice, five for 66. Laporte gets five for 63. I think hasn't, you know, had a massive day in any of these first two weeks, but the way he has been used so far, Sean very encouraging kind of what we were hoping to see in those early Points off the season, then Khalif Raymond gets in as well. Montgomery picks up an injury in this. Unfortunate for him, seems like it'll be out a few weeks. He had 67 rushing yards and a touchdown at that particular point, but that opens up a door now, Sean, for Jameer Gibbs, who just had 17 rushing yards and seven attempts, but he did start to get the work in the air. Nine targets, led the team in targets, seven receptions, but the 39 yards. But if we do see Montgomery miss a couple of games, this could be the really coming out party for jameer gibbs both these teams i think we're going to see a lot of fantasy points throughout the season and this was very encouraging i think for the seahawks after how they really fell away uh,
2: in that game last week against the la rams and if you think about the rams 49ers game the seahawks have to be a little bit concerned that two of the best teams in the NFL are in the same division with them and that that's going to cause problems for them. At the same time, the loss to the Rams is probably not going to end up being anything like a bad loss. And this win on the road at the Detroit Lions, a Lions team that I think is a dark horse contender, you know, to be in the NFC Championship game on that side, this is a really good win. And it's one that... They desperately needed It's one where if the Lions could have come through, I mean they're looking at, you know, now we're gonna you know, not coast to the it NFC. Really, North really title. push on. Based on yeah. based on how
1: Thursday night football went as well, with the Vikings also uh losing to the Eagles. And this Sean watching it felt like one that I know the Packers really did at one slip through their hands on Sunday, but this felt like the entire way through that, you know, Detroit were we're gonna see this one over the line until that until that 6 had really, I think, felt that it
2: swung it a lot. And it is something where I mean, you kind of would like to have overtime rules all the way through that allow for both teams touching the ball. Obviously, that's controversial. Obviously, we want to keep these games as short as possible. Colin, this is completely off topic, but I read about the Arizona Diamondbacks watch those games and people will say that you know one of the reasons why i love what's always been referred to as the international tiebreaker is because i'm not you know a, a traditionalist or a pure baseball fan and so i shouldn't get to weigh in on it but having the runner on second in extra innings is incredibly exciting and so all of these traditionalists who have bashed the commissioner for several years on this i just It seems like weird sour grapes when they've made the game so much more exciting. The Diamondbacks had a game a couple days ago that has both teams score in the 10th, both teams score in the 11th, neither team score in the 12th, and the Diamondbacks coming behind from behind in the bottom of the 13th to overcome the run that the Cubs have scored in the top of the 13th. The way that Major League Baseball has it set up currently, you've shortened the games and eliminated for the most part these situations where teams have to play so many extra innings and blow up their bullpens for multiple games going forward increasing uh, it, it blows up how your team construction works for the games subsequently but also i mean all those different types of things you know, very subtly increase injury risks and all those types of problems that sports are really trying to avoid. And so I understand why, I mean, you want these overtime games to be short <laughs> games. And yet it, it's just unfortunate for this game to have ended without the Lions having the ball in overtime because it was such a fantastic game. Uh, again, you just say that Detroit, you got to go out and make the stop. This was one of the games that was a little bit controversial because there's a very clear cut, you know, penalty as the Seahawks do score. To win the game, if that penalty is called, then you know maybe something completely different happens. But the shootout here and getting so many people involved. Colin, in our sort of projecting the season episode right before things kicked off, we talked about the Seahawks. You were giving me DK Metcalf and JSN as the two guys who's going to lead the Seahawks in receiving. I said no, I'm taking Lockett as the number two, and I. Still in taking that. I mean, I think he looks really, really good. You have a, you have a, you certainly have a lead at this point, but we are two weeks into the season. We'll... well, I don't know if I have a lead. I've got a pretty big deficit because I've got JSN number one, but I still like that. I mean, you look at what we're getting from Puka and Nakua, which is, I mean, one of the coolest outrageous. stories in years and years and years, right? Just unbelievably fantastic. We've been waiting for, you know, more than a decade for the next Anquan Bolden. To come out of nowhere and destroy the NFL as a non-first-round pick rookie, we just we just we
1: have to mention we got it. We have to mention this, Sean. Uh, Fifteen receptions for 147 yards for Puka—the most receptions in a single game by a rookie in NFL history. First player in history with 10 receptions and 100 receiving yards (laughs) in each of his first two games, and he's the fifth player with at least 10 receptions and 100 receiving yards in each of his first two games of a season with miles austin isaac bruce and cooper cup andre reason the only other ones so you know we talk about sometimes you know historic things this is historic this is generational this is
2: historic and it's also insane (laughs) it's been so cool it's so cool i mean you watch this game against the 49ers and it was exciting because I did get to add him to a bunch of very high stakes. Uh, and you teams. temper
1: expectations. You know, he, he's on the injury report. You know, he's
2: against the 49ers Pure. Yeah, I mean, you're wondering if you should even start it in week two. I but then the game goes him. and you're like, is he invisible? <laughs> because he's open on every
1: play. So he's not like, you know, you talked about, you know, elite speed earlier with, you know, T. Higgins mightn't have it. The, the one thing here is, Puka uh, certainly doesn't have elite speed.
2: No, and I think over. we've joked in the past the best superhero power is luck, right? That's, that's my favorite power. It's one that we like to utilize in fantasy. Colin, has he been able to use that superpower on every single one of his 25 receptions? I, I would say that it has been a combination of skill. Obviously, we're just joking. We didn't give him credit for the skill. Invisibility and luck that's how you get to 25 to receptions through your first two nfl games
1: i was kind of thinking in week one they might have thought like wow this this game mightn't be any good so let's not just put all our focus on them uh, and then it, it turns out that maybe the 49ers thought the same thing
2: i don't know it was crazy it was crazy so that is prelude to saying not 25 receptions in two games right because we're not getting that kind of thing from the superstars but some results like this are coming from JSN. Whatever you do, do not sell low in any format. He's still going to lead the Seahawks in receiving. Colin, that's one I feel very comfortable doubling down You look at the Lions side of it. You mentioned the situation there for Gibbs. He has the seven receptions. That's what we were talking about for him as being the next, you know, Marshall fault, Christian McCaffrey. In week one, he didn't get a lot of touches and looked absolutely electric. In week two, more opportunities. I would say struggled a little bit more in this one. So uh, we want to see him play a little better. I think that he will. It is nice, I think, to have a couple of game stretch here. We'll have probably get some opportunities and be able to settle in and not be thinking, Every time that he makes a mistake or every time there's a run that isn't perfect, that you're coming back out and you're going to watch David Montgomery plunge into the line two or three more times. Now, having said that, Craig Reynolds did get three carries in this game. (laughs) And so they are committed to having other players work in. And yet, when you have the 16 total opportunities for Gibbs, the seven rushes and the nine targets, I mean, that's about what you're looking for from him. Maybe now with Montgomery out, that number rises to 20 to 22, but he's going to need to do damage with those touches. You can't simply always be asking for more volume. The player has to come through with the plays, the player who is coming through. And again, if if you didn't watch this game and you're just looking at the box score, you're probably thinking Sam Laporta, six targets, five catches, 63 yards. That's certainly good for a tight end early on. I mean, obviously everything he's doing is going to be, you know, massively swamped by what Puka is doing, and it should be. But for a tight end to come out and have these first two games and the 63 yards here, a lot of those came from him fighting with the yeah. ball after the catch, breaking tackles, working through contact. He looks ferocious out there. I mean, he's got the mindset that Dan Campbell and the Lions want. I'm constantly receiving second round pick offers for him in dynasty in some cases even multiple second round pick offers and yet i mean laporta is somebody who my take on it was that he should have been drafted around 108 this season if you got him in that 201 to 205 range you're definitely not giving him away now and i'm i mean he's worth at least a one if not a high one a one plus sam laporta is going to be the next difference maker at tight end and Colin. those difference makers simply do not exist (laughs) whatever you do don't trade sam laporta early
1: yeah and i think the only thing like obviously you could get a huge yardage total or even more receptions but the, the one thing i think that may and maybe you're in a situation where maybe you're in a league where you maybe are able to acquire him i feel like this is the if anyone is trying to acquire him for reasonable offers i think this is going to be the last chance because once he starts getting in the end zone it's it's over I think we could see him really start to ascend up, not just dynasty rankings, but if you're looking ahead to next year's redraft landscape, you know we can. We, I think we could see him right at the tail end potentially if there was elite options heading into a second season as as
2: people's hype gets gets really up there. But Sean, well, Colin, who would you have ahead of him in dynasty tight end rankings right now? Everyone knows
1: I'm TJ Hawkinson uh, mad. I think at this point he should be the tight end one moving forward. And then I think when you're looking at the age gaps of some of these guys, and I wouldn't be against people who are going to have you know, Mark Andrews and Kelsey in certain rankings, but I, I'm going to start to target these younger guys. And I think you're into Pitts and Laporta pretty quickly. I think he's probably around five for me. I would, you know, I would take Kelsey over him. I'm not saying trade Travis Kelsey for Sam Laporta, but I think I would really have him up as high as that. I think that'll make sense. And what you discussed
2: there is that the... Basically
1: there's two veterans that you could have in the mix, Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. And then I think that you're into um, you know, Kyle Pitts. Then I think you're really starting to get into Sam report after that. Because there is there's a lot of nothing at tight end if you're looking for the true difference makers. I think he he really has the the upside to to get into that mix, I think extremely quick.
2: And when we talk about perpetual reloading I mean, Sam Laporta was kind of the poster child for this when you think of how having a lot of picks in that range was so valuable to being able to land someone like him on a lot of teams. But also when we think about that, if you get a team that has enough overall depth, then you also have the ability to bring in a Travis Kelsey or a Mark Andrews and simply ride them to zero not ever really worried about trading them, but taking the points and winning your dynasty leagues as you go through, which mostly you're not going to want to do with old players, but with tight end being so impossible to address with other guys, Kelsey and Andrews still make a lot of sense there. If we were looking at tight end from the same perspective that we look at other positions, I think that you could already make a case for Sam Laporta as the number one because, It's not a case that I'm over optimistic. No, I don't think so because the context is not great for Kyle Pitts and the other difference makers outside of, you know, maybe a TJ Hawkinson are old and they're probably still going to have good seasons. I think with Mark Andrews, obviously you have that gap between his age and Kelsey's age where if things go well, then he scores at an extremely high level all the way through that gap and you're very happy with it that's probably a little optimistic if you're hoping to get that type of production all the way into the mid thirties, you know, right now through two weeks, we obviously have some questions about George Kittle and how he's going to score. Samuel Laporte is going to score for a long time and Jared Goff, probably not going to be the quarterback that you're getting, you know, the Travis Kelsey production with. And yet, I mean, this offense looks very competent, you play all these games in the dome. You play a lot of games against relatively weak opponents. The near term outlook is very encouraging for him to be able to ascend and to create that rise to where maybe you run into some problems a couple of years from now. And you're saying, well, that's kind of the time period I'm really targeting for Laporta, the one where he's a high end tight end one. You know, so maybe we've got a little bit of a mix of likely future contexts. But the fact that these next couple of years look so promising and Laporta already, I think, going to be an impact tight end, certainly in tight end premium in 2023 as a rookie.
1: So we are hyped. We are excited uh, for Laporta. I, you know, when I'm saying am I over-enthusiast, I think there's people who are listening that will know. When I, I, I'm i always interested. Some people will stumble upon the Road of His Overtime podcast maybe for the first time ever today as they're listening to this. And I do think if you're not in the, the Road of His community side of things, Sean – I do think that people may think that that's an outlandish ranking, but um, I think it's where it, where it should be. But we are going to leave it there for this episode. We are going to be back for a Wednesday edition of Road Overtime. Make sure you are subscribed. If you are here for the first time ever, welcome. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Come back and watch each and every show. Listen to each and every show in your favorite podcast app. Drop us a written and review. We would really appreciate that. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Over Tomorrowland. My co host is Sean Siegel check out all of sean's work up on rotoviz.com and until we are back have a good one thank you for listening to overtime on rotoviz radio please rate and review the rotoviz radio podcast on itunes or your favorite podcast app you can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com follow us on twitter at rotoviz radio and remember you can always support the pod by subscribing to rotoviz with a discount through the rotoviz radio homepage rotoviz.com
0: forward slash podcast